You're listening to KBVR Corvallis, and this is Mystic Yarn, writing from the fog and beyond. I'm your host, Celine Ross. This month, we'll hear fiction from Miranda Cross. In Miranda's story, Maydays, we enter an absurd yet somehow familiar world where 13-year-old girls trade parts of themselves in strange and tender ways. Enjoy. I'm Miranda Cross, and this is Maydays. The first time May takes a piece of me, it is the summer after seventh grade. We are 12 years old, having a sleepover in her basement. It won't hurt, she says. You trust me, don't you? Sweat puddles my armpits, and I wonder if she'll wash them out once this is done. I trust you, I reply. But I don't know about this, May. Oh, come on. She squeezes my hands between her own. I've seen people do it a million times. Jen almost passed out her first, but you're way stronger. It is strange for her to touch me like this. We have been best friends for seven years, and we do not hug or say I love you. May does not like it. May gently lifts my left arm in its socket and aligns it at a 73-degree angle from my neck. She tugs until all the tendons snap away from my bones. It sounds like an ear of corn is being shucked behind my shoulder, and when I open my eyes, my arm is lying in May's velour sweat-panted lap. See? She's smiling. I told you, it's like nothing. Yeah, I smile back. Now this is the most important part. She hands me a lump of gray sludge. Spit. I hawk a deep loogie, spew it onto the clay, and try to keep my eyes off my arm while I need. Once it's good and saturated, we'll have to cover this. She grabs the plastic mannequin arm from the spot of carpet beside her knee and places it between us. May holds the plastic arm in place while I use my remaining hand to smooth the clay in a thick layer over its surface. Then, we walk to the kitchen, put the arm in her preheated oven. 475 degrees. While it cooks, we watch the Blair Witch Project. I hold back my tears until the movie picks up. Are you seriously crying? May asks. She's just so scared, I reply. I jump at the sight of the open oven door. When did you have time to put my real arm in here? I ask. I didn't. It's right here. She's brought my arm along for proof and waves it around in the air. We wait for the imposter to cool. When I pick it up, it feels just like my skin, except it is noticeably hollow. I know May is telling the truth. I spit again into another small amount of very wet clay, and May smears it onto the now nub of my shoulder. She presses the fake arm against the slime, and it feels like magnets are fighting under my skin. After it snaps into place, I wiggle the fingers. This is so weird, I say. Why did we do this again? Because everyone should try it at least once, May shrugs. May wraps my arm in an old blanket and places it in the back corner of her closet. 
She says it will stay there for safekeeping and we can swap it back whenever the replacement starts to break down. I learned to redistribute my weight so that I do not fall over from overcompensating the weightless arm. It'll be good for your core, May says. At least you'll be toned. The next night, I sleep over May's house again, and something tells me to look. I dream about her wrapping my disembodied arm around herself and recoiling. Once she is asleep, I creep over to the closet and peel open the accordion door, keeping the hinges from creaking. The blanket is there, but the arm underneath is not mine. In the seeped-in light from the blue TV, I recognize May's freckle below the arm's elbow and remnants of purple glitter polish on its fingers. We eat bland toaster pancakes for breakfast. I think about how angry my mom will be if she finds out May has lost one of my limbs. She probably wouldn't let me see her ever again. May eats her pancakes without syrup and tells me she's trying to cut back on refined sugars because it does wonders for the skin. I do not take more syrup for myself. Hey, May, I start. Do you think we could switch back my arm now? What? Why? She forces her face into what she thinks is nonchalant confusion and looks down at her plate. I feel the blood leave my face and wish I had taken the syrup after all. I know if I say the wrong thing, she will become cold. I, I don't know. I just think I've had enough of this one, I say, gazing at the pink wallpaper behind her. You're supposed to wear it to failure, but if that's what you want, you'll just have to help me make a new one for myself. Sure. I look down at my plate. Is mine still in that closet? Well... May holds out her right arm and rolls up the sleeve of her sweatshirt. Not exactly. My fingernails are painted with purple glitter to match her left hand. I didn't think you'd mind, she says. I got a gnarly bruise on my bicep and figured I could just borrow yours while mine heals up. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, I guess. You're not mad at me, are you? She sneers and masks it with her sad eyes. You'd tell me, right? I consider. No, of course I'm not mad at you. We share everything. I shrug. She smiles again and tells me how deeply it hurts her for people to be mad at her. How often she over-apologizes for things that aren't her fault. May has plans to go to the mall with Jennifer and then to the movies with Gunner. She says we will make her new arm tomorrow night and tells me to ask my mom if I can sleep over again. You're going to have to leave soon because Jen and her dad are going to be here at 12, but you can stay and watch me get ready. May puts on a teal shirt and a pair of jeans. She rubs a bottle of calamine lotion up and down her arms until they are almost wet and does my makeup after hers. Ugh, I just wish you could come, she says. You're the only person I have fun with. I'm not doing anything today. I'm sure my mom wouldn't care. It's just so last minute, you know? Plus, I have a feeling Gunnar would be uncomfortable. I'll just tell you all about it later. 
Then she talks about Jen's parents' divorce, how she cries about her dead dog whenever they are together, until my mom beeps her horn in the driveway. As I walk across the lawn, I want to cry. When I get into the passenger seat, my mom says I reek like cheap perfume. I spend the whole way home nodding my stomach with thoughts of May telling Jennifer about something I've done wrong. Two days go by before our next sleepover because May has other plans she forgot about. I spend most of the time thinking about my arm and wondering what's happening to it. I fall over when May finally snaps it back onto my body. She assures me that she will teach me how it all works one day, and I say I don't think I want to know. My arm is heavier than I remember, and it smells like May's room. Ow, I say. What's the matter? she asks. My bones are stinging. I grip my elbow so tight it leaves fingerprints in the skin. Oh, May watches me. That's normal. It should stop soon. When I am home, I get into the shower and scrub at the arm until it is red and puffy and the stinging is dull. I try to position it just right and pull the way I've seen May do, because it wouldn't be so bad for it to fall back off. I stand there and cry until my mom yells into the bathroom that I'm single-handedly running up the water bill. I continue to tug and tug all night. The next morning, I call Jennifer. It's been a few weeks since the three of us have been together. Trios are tough, my mom warns. Someone always gets jealous. Hi. Jen breathes into the receiver. She sounds upset. Hi, Jenny. I hear her get out of bed and shut the door to her room. It drags slow and heavy across the carpet. What's up? She asks. There's something I wanted to ask you about. The tendons in my jaw steal, and Jen inhales so sharply it sounds like static interference. Your arm? Yeah, the arms, I say. When did you do it? Thursday night. She pauses. Oh. What? May gave mine back to me after we went to the mall. Hmm. I know. What did it feel like? Not good. Like all the bones inside of it were on fire? Yeah. Me too. I... She hesitates. I don't think that was supposed to happen. I say nothing and start picking the polish off my fingernails. I've been testing it. Scratching at the skin to see if it will peel away. Without noticing it's happening, my fingertips start driving their way down towards my left radius. I expect the skin at my forearm to flake away into clayey ash, to confirm Jen's failed attempts. But when it breaks, there is blood. It doesn't. Jen sighs. It's real. This is not the first time I have inspected the arm. I fall asleep staring at it, even when the room gets too dark to see anything more than its chalky outline against my sheets. The skin is drier than I remember, drier than my right arm. The hand cracks in dentrided scales that look like a desert floor, splotches red around the elbow in a psoriasical crown. Hey, do you think she would ever... You know. I want to tell her that sometimes the arm won't listen, 
that I feel the electricity shoot down through every neuron leading to my shoulder, and then the signal suddenly stops. I don't think this arm is mine, Jen whimpers. <sighs> Me neither. Two hours later, we both get a text from May. Pool day? May lends Jen and me two of her bathing suits, even though we each brought our own. She hands me a red bikini that droops off of my body like loose skin. Jen tells me how good I look. May pretends not to hear and leads us outside. The pool deck is made of wine-tinted wood, and in the sun it gleams like a dried scab. I try to hide the fact that I am imagining one of the splintered pieces lodging itself into my soul each time I take a step. May lies down on her towel and starts playing music so loudly from her phone that we do not speak for a while. You'll never get a tan like that, she yells to me. Her eyes are closed and she's facing the sky. I'm covering my body in a thick layer of sunscreen and am suddenly aware that I smell like a sweet vat of baby powder. I dab at my arms with my towel to alleviate some of the goop but it feels too late. I'm also relieved. I know that I don't want to burn. Jen widens her eyes so that their lids retract completely into her skull and draws a sightline for me to follow. It ends at May's body, sprawled across the hot wood like a dropped roast duck. In the sunlight, it is easy to notice the discoloration of her arms. Neither of them match the skin at her shoulders, but maybe it's the shadow being cast by the sun or the straps of her bathing suit top. Jen is still watching me. She gestures down to her right arm, then to the one attached to May. I cannot make up my mind about how to react, so I nod and shrug at the same time, creating a convulsive gesture back at her. Jen adopts a decisive look before sliding a pair of yellow sunglasses over her eyes, scratching the back of her right hand, and taking to silently baking in the sun. We lie side by side for a while before we decide to jump into the water. When we rise from our towels, we are all self-conscious, self-preserving, keep our organs tucked close toward the skin of our backs. We play Marco Polo and I accidentally get my bracelet tangled in May's hair. In shock of the initial hair-yanking pain, she wraps her left hand around my left wrist and the magnets come back. It is as if her palm is made of battery acid and it opens every pore of my arm like a bloated sponge. I bite my tongue to keep from screaming, but May has already done it. Her yelp is something feral, and she tears her hand away. May's arm starts to move in gelatinous circles up and around her ear like a gummy candy octopus. The arm leads her around the pool by some invisible force, and I trail her, still attached at the hair. On the pool ladder, we enlist Jen to help detangle me, and I try my hardest to preserve every last strand for May. None of us make eye contact until we are back inside the house. While we change back into our clothes, Jen corners me in the bathroom and breathes a sour fog into my face. The right one's mine and the left one's yours. Her hair is in frizzy knots from the quick ferocity she used to pull her clothes back over her head. I don't know, Jen. Maybe they sort of look like they could be. 
I know she's right. What do you mean? Not just look like. You felt it. I was there. And the flailing? I know. That was weird. No. It makes perfect sense. I guess. How are you so indifferent to this? Aren't you pissed? No. It was probably a mistake. Well, I am. And those belong to us. She tosses the words over her shoulder as she stomps away across the wet tile, checking the hallway for May before moving through the door completely. I'm clutching my towel so tightly around me that my hands have turned the color of wax. I think maybe if I stay like this, I can turn wax all over. For dinner, May's mom feeds us dishes of tuna casserole that remind me of cat food. Jen salts her plate so heavily that it reminds me of cat food in snow, but I remember a chef on the Food Network complaining about customers who did this, and I don't want to make May's mom feel the same. I shovel the beige sludge onto my tongue and tell her it tastes delicious. May leaves half of her plate full and offers it to Jen, who topples it onto her own and initiates her salting ritual over again. May's lips pull into a smile as she watches Jen eat. My eyes float between the taut and sloppy gestures of their mouths. A foot touches mine below the table, and I don't know whose. When I jump, neither of them notice. You're such a slow eater, May whines at Jen. It sounds almost admirational. Oh yeah? Jen answers her. Yeah. Maybe I'd be faster with a more familiar instrument. She waggles her right arm across the table. The arm is still hovering above our plates when May lets out a gruntled laugh, her face slanted in disbelief. Jen retracts her appendage as though she is ready for it to be ripped away. Watch this, she says, checking to see that May's mom is still turned away from us and washing pans in the sink. She takes all the remaining tuna salad on her plate between both hands and packs it into her mouth. We laugh hydro-sealed band-aid laughs as Jen struggles to swallow. Done, she declares. May claps for her, tips of fingers against the opposite palm in golf final style. I join in. Let's go downstairs. In the basement, we play a familiar game. May designates each of us a small whiteboard, crusted over with old marker stains and browning spots of gluey eraser. We draw three lines, numbering them one, two, and three. I remember the first time we played. It had been at Jen's house, with Jen's tiny whiteboards taken from a conspicuous Pictionary box. We would go around and name a category, she'd said, and then we'd rank ourselves best to worst. May grew visibly excited at her words, bobbing her head giddily between us. The first ever category was prettiest eyes. Jen and I each put May at the top of our lists, which was received with exaggerated looks of fake shock. By now, it has become ritual for us all to write May's name once at the beginning of our session and leave it on the first line for the rest of the night. Each time we reveal our boards, May blushes, and our own cheeks turn cherries under her stare. Now we spend an hour blowing through our normal headings. Best hair, best boobs, most likely to have their first kiss, but I know what is coming. We have rotated at least a dozen times, 
and when it again becomes Jen's turn to name a category, I hold my breath. Best. She taps her pointer finger to her chin. Arms. May's cheeks glint a pasty green that reminds me of the spat in clay. It is so slight that I could have missed it if I chose to look down a second earlier. We scribble and I feel my intestines turn to something dead as I write Jen's name in the first slot, placing my own beneath it. My arm suddenly statics so that the stinging is just bearable. Oh, I hear Jen whisper as she scans her own inner elbow. What's wrong? May snaps. Her hands are grabbing their opposite wrists, and she begins to gently wring them, her forearms writhing like snakes. Her board is balanced behind them, pushed tightly to her chest, and the marker has surely been wiped clean by the fabric of her shirt. Ready? Jen giggles forcibly, and May's arms suddenly stop. When we swivel the boards around, and Jen shows us the white surface between her fingers, it is her own name scrawled at the top of the list with mine beneath it. I am so unsure about what this means for all of us that I miss the change on May's face. She rakes air in through her nostrils. Why am I at the bottom of your lists? She's asking Jen, but staring directly at me. I squirm under her gaze, feeling every heated bit of her slippery grief. I want nothing more than to hug her. I want nothing more than to run away and never think about touching her again. I cannot move. Jen shakes her head. Her eyes roll so hard that only the whites show. I know it is coming, and I know that I will have to back her up in our inquisition. I brace as Jen parts her lips. But May begins to cry. Very timidly at first, then, in a way, I have never seen anyone cry before in my life. In a way, I don't think I will ever see anyone cry ever again. We sit there in our circle and watch her stifled gasps, and all three of our mouths hang open. Take them. She mouths to the carpet. What? Jen asks. May's now pinked and swollen face continues to hang. Take them. She whispers. Jen puts her hand on my knee, her fingertips tiny bugs humming against my skin. Take them, May screams, throwing herself onto her back and raising both arms straight into the air. Take them, take them, take them. Jen lifts her palms from me. How? You know how, Jenny. We rise to stand over May in judgment, and she squeezes her eyes shut so tightly that they are nothing but narrow lines. It happens quickly. We shuck our arms from her sockets. Jen grabs the clay from inside the closet, and when my arm is back in its place, there is no stinging and no magnets. We're not sure what to do with the limbs that have just come off of us, so we leave them mangled and twisted upon each other next to the closet door. Still flat on her back, the sleeves of May's t-shirt hang deflated against the flats of her shoulders. 
I want to be angry, but she looks like a beached jellyfish, and I feel the need to tell her she is still so beautiful. We should go home, Jen and me. She tries, but I stop her. Instead, we sit cross-legged next to May and listen to her breathe for hours and hours. You just heard Maydays by Miranda Cross. Miranda is a current MFA student in fiction at Oregon State University. She hails from Connecticut. Music by Jonas Myers. Jonas is a musician, writer, and recent graduate of the MFA program in fiction from Oregon State University. He's now based in Port Townsend, Washington. Mystic Yarn is produced by me, Celine Ross. Mystic Yarn will return next month with more writing from the Pacific Northwest here on KBVR Corvallis. Thanks for listening.